Well, hello, church family. It's lovely to be with you here uh, today, streaming into your homes or your bedrooms or uh, your TV sets, wherever it is that you are today. Uh, I just want to say good morning or good afternoon, good evening, whatever time of the day you're watching. It's just a, a privilege to come and be with you today. Uh, here in Alberta, we are finally moving in some kind of direction towards spring after a very long uh, winter time. Um, for those who are watching, if there are any in BC, you're already laughing at us because you've had some lovely sunshine for, for some time, but we're really excited to be moving into spring and it's a lovely day. I uh, hope you're strong in the Lord wherever you are watching from. And uh, for those who are watching and are not familiar with who I am, uh, my name is Matty Coppin and I'm the pastor of our multi-site church in Bonacord. I have been on staff here at the Father's House for 11 years. I can't believe it, 11 years. And it's been a privilege and a joy being part of the team here. And uh, I want to send a big shout out to all of our people out in Bonacord. If you're watching today, it's lovely to, I guess, not see you, but know that I am present with you in some way. And so I just want to say hello to you as well. Um, I've been invited to come and share today uh, the sermon as we uh, have been walking through a new series. Pastor Greg kickstarted just a few weeks ago uh, a masterclass on prayer. And who better to learn how to pray from than Jesus himself, who teaches us this in incredibly rich way to pray. Uh, it is pregnant with meaning. And uh, we have just began as we have looked at the, uh, the first couple of petitions anyway, uh, in the last few weeks, just before Easter, learning a little bit about how to pray and what Jesus is inviting us to pray, considering the meaning behind what he's saying. And there is such depth and richness. Pastor Greg started a couple of weeks ago with uh, the first petition, our Father who is in heaven, and he finished off with holy is your name, looking at the fact that as we pray those words, we begin to move from um, knowing God, I guess, from an intellectual place or a sort of a distant God to recognizing that he is our dad and he's a good dad. And there's this intimacy that is produced as we begin to see God, not just as this far off um, sort of being, but this very close and personal God who loves us and is intimate with us. Um, and then we begin to look at learning to also revere his name in the same way. But by doing that, recognizing that we just get to sing praise to God, that in recognizing our intimacy with him, that at the same time, it creates this thanksgiving, this, this wellspring of praise to, to, to worship God. Because it's as we do that, God is so good that he helps take our eyes off the problems and the anxieties and the worries of the world to say, God, holy is your name. Oh, there you are, God. You are worthy to be praised. You are good. And as we do that, this thanksgiving overflows and wells up in our heart and it actually begins to produce peace in our heart and get our eyes off ourselves and see that the God of the universe is worthy of our praise. So many things are vying for our attention, distracting us. So we, as we petition God in that first sentence, we remember that that's right, we have an intimate relationship with a good father. And not only that, we can begin to be thankful and just worship this incredible God. And then the week before Easter, a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Greg began to lean into the, the, the next petition, uh, your kingdom come and your will be done. And we discovered that there is a kingdom, a kingdom of God. And, and there is a king of that kingdom and his name is Jesus Christ. And we're invited to uh, invite 
his reign in our life without any rival. And today, as, as Pastor Greg led us into that just before Easter, I want to lean into that idea of the kingdom whilst also opening up some thoughts about your will be done and, and what that means as we begin to pray those words. So how about before we start and uh, we get going in this sermon, why don't we just take a moment, a brief moment to just pray together, uh, to welcome the presence of God into our home or wherever we are and uh, ask that his peace would reign and that maybe the Holy Spirit will just reveal a few glimpses of the goodness of God today and an invitation to, to follow and trust Jesus. Let's pray together. Well, God, we just simply pray that you would be present to us today. Wherever we are watching this from or listening, we just ask, God, that by your grace, you would come and bring peace and hope and healing uh, to every part of us. And that as we hear the words, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would transmit them the way that you would want to, and that you will open the eyes of our heart that we may truly see. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week, at the time of recording, last week was Easter. And Easter is uh, my favorite time of the calendar, for sure, and as a Christian calendar. It's a powerful moment for the believing church of Jesus Christ because it's this moment in history where everything changed. Christ reveals himself as this victorious savior uh, of the world who conquered the grave and defeated the enemy, death, and defeated the power of sin that has kept us in bondage, he defeats it. And he rises from the grave, this victorious conqueror who has defeated the very thing that has kept us enslaved, giving us new life and a new hope for eternity. But today, as we remember Easter last week and we celebrate, I also want to suggest that the story doesn't end there. The story does not end at the resurrection. In fact, I would be so bold to say that that's the beginning. The resurrection took place and that is just the beginning of the story for us. I believe that Jesus, when he ascended into heaven, he didn't just say, hey, hey guys, just take it easy, uh, relax, go about your day-to-day -day business as though nothing happened and one day you'll die and join me up there and then that's good. No, I actually don't think that's the message of Easter at all. I think Jesus, when his ascension took place, he actually, because of the resurrection, rehumanizes us with the resurrected breath of God that makes us alive again to be established on this earth to enter in to the mission that God has for us. He says, I'm sending you. And he also says to his disciples, now, now go. Don't just sit around and wait till you die and go about life as usual. No, in the resurrection, something changed. Something happened that the world would be a different place. He looks at his followers and he says, now go. Go and make disciples of all the nations. In their book, Encountering Theology of Mission, the authors Craig Ott and Stephen Strauss talk about this sending activity of God. Uh, and they say God's will is seen in Jesus who was sent by the Father and sent into this world who at his resurrection looks at his disciples and says, as I was sent by the Father, now I send you. And then he breathes on them and says, now I send you the Holy Spirit. So God is this sending God. And at the resurrection, it doesn't just end, it begins. Jesus sends his followers out into the world 
with the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is what they say in their book. As the sending will of God was realized in the sending of the Son, so Jesus now sends the church. Through God's sending of the Spirit, the church is empowered to become his agents of mission. Indeed, the whole story of the Bible can be understood in terms of God's sending activity. See, God sends us out into the world now to become preoccupied with the kingdom of God, the way Jesus was, to lay down our old life and begin to move into this new, hope-filled, resurrected life in which we receive God's spirit and get about the work of the kingdom. The kingdom of God, as we pray for it, reigns in our life and Jesus is glorified through us and in us for it is Christ in us, the hope of glory. I want to tell you something, that's a pretty scary invitation for us if we consider it because it actually invites us to let go of control and trust God, to lay down our idea of our own kingdom and life to follow God. For the disciples, the resurrection meant leaving this room that they had locked themselves in for fear of the Jews and to go out into a hostile world under the power of the sending spirit being sent into the world to proclaim the resurrection, to proclaim freedom for the captives, to proclaim recovery of sight to the blind, to restore and reclaim and redeem and reconcile. And it's a very real question that the disciples asked as they were invited into this previously in their ministry with Jesus was, Jesus, if we leave our old life, if we truly follow you, if we are sent with you into this world, God, where's our help going to come from? We've, we've trusted these things and we, we have an identity and we, we've worked a certain job and we've done a certain thing, but now you're inviting us to this way of life. Jesus, where's our help going to come from? A very real question. You know what Jesus says? He says, hey guys, don't be anxious or preoccupied with that question. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness. And all that you need will be provided for you. And that is the ultimate handing over of control to God. To step into his kingdom and story for Jesus, to desire the kingdom of God, which is the same word for seek, to seek the kingdom is to desire this new way of life, to desire Christ's rule, to desire God's love in our heart, to be so transformed and so ready to live for him, to be so preoccupied with that desire, not the anxiety of where is my help going to come from. Jesus says, just desire my reign. So praying your kingdom come, your will be done. We invite God to take the reins again and to desire him first. But the, with life, it's very tempting to want to sort everything out first. And then I'll serve you, God. If I can sort out this area of my life, or if I can sort out this first, then I will lay down my life and follow you, God. It's very tempting to want to manage things first. It's tempting to go and say, look, I'll go and sort out my mortgage first, and when I have a home, then I can use it for your glory. 
It's really tempting to say, when I, when I really work hard at this job and get promoted, then I'll have enough money to tithe to the church. Or, you know, God, when I, when I sort out this area of my life, then, and then, and then. And I think that's the question the disciples are kind of asking, like, how's this going to work, Jesus? He just says, don't be preoccupied with that anxiety. I want to invite you into a new way of doing life, which is where you don't have to be in control anymore. You can actually trust the God of the universe who powerfully spoke the universe into existence. See, there was a moment in in Jesus' time on earth where a disciple actually came to him and said, hey, Jesus, I'll I'll follow you, but just let me go and bury my dad first, and, and then I'm ready to go. And Jesus looks at him and says, sorry, buddy, but let the dead bury the dead. You follow me. And the question he was asking is just the same kind of wrestle I think that we have sometimes. He was like, to to bury your father meant when my dad dies, I will get the inheritance. And then I can sell everything and I'll have enough provision to come and follow after you, Jesus. And Jesus says, no, it's not. That's an upside down way of looking at it. And I think that's the temptation is this, God, if I sort this out, then I can let go of control and follow you. But Jesus shows us the opposite way. He just says, guys, Desire my rule, desire my reign. And in my kingdom, I am so generous. I am so good that in this kingdom, this heavenly reality, all that you need is provided for you. The love, the care, the provision, all comes when we make Jesus Lord of our life and we trust in his kingdom. And he goes further on to say, don't worry even about tomorrow. Like, don't don't even get anxious about the next day and how that's going to work. For today has enough worries. And that's what we'll probably lean into more eventually as we look at give us this day, our daily bread in this Lord's Prayer, to look at what it means to trust in God's provision. But these are some challenging words to us as the church. I think I certainly find them very challenging to recognize that there are areas of my life I may control, but Jesus is inviting me to lay them down and trust him. Jesus invites us to remember this reality as we pray. Our Father in heaven, Holy is your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I think Jesus teaching us to pray this begins to help us focus uh, what our desires really are. And Jesus actually shows us this example of what we are invited to pray. And the kingdom is pretty simple when you think about it. The word literally means King's dominion. That's what the word kingdom means. And the kingdom is really a place in which God's will is being done. And this is Jesus' preoccupation was with seeing what the will of God is done as he proclaimed the kingdom. And Jesus was the best example of the will of God in action. So what does it mean to live our lives seeking his will? Church, I want to say something. I don't think it always means living in poverty or having not enough in the bank and scratching through life. I don't think it always means, you know, just having $2 in your bank or always having challenges in life or always feeling like life is a drudgery and a pain and there's no joy. I think sometimes we feel like that to to, to lay down control and trust God means living this kind of life where you're walking around and it's kind of boring and you never have enough money and your relationships suck. (laughs) I think it's the complete opposite. I don't think it always means having these challenging things. I think that to trust the will of God 
to live into the kingdom and pray his kingdom come and to have Jesus as Lord of your life is to just say, Jesus, here it is on the table. I'm putting it all on the table, every single part of my life. And I'm just going to say, where is it you want us to go, King Jesus? What is it that you want us to do? Here's my life on the table, every part of me. Jesus, if you are the Lord of my life, then you are the Lord of every part of my life. You rule the kingdom and I want to follow you because I've encountered your love and you have changed me and I want to trust you. Here's my life on the table. Where do you want to go? In our life, my wife and I, Ashley and our kids, we've tried our very best to live into this reality. Um, And for us, you know, it's asking that question all the time. God, where is it that you want us to go? Lord, where, what is it that you want us to do? And I'm going to tell you something. As we've lived that question the best as we can, not perfectly, for sure, I'm going to tell you something. The amount of houses we've lived in, the amount of cars we've driven, the amount of countries we've lived in, the amount of jobs we've had, because our, our focus isn't on a job or a title or a role, but literally laying it on the line and just saying, Jesus, let's go together. What does it look like? Now, I'm not trying to puff ourselves up and say that we're perfect in that, What I'm saying is there's this incredible adventure that comes when we learn to say, your kingdom come, Lord, your domain, your rule, rule my life because you love me so much and and your will be done, which means as I live into that, God, I will do what you want me to do because what happens in that transaction is the very desires of God come into your heart and change your desires. And then you begin to live the desires of God, meaning you're ready for the adventure to go wherever God wants you to go. I just think it ultimately means letting the Lord of the kingdom have dominion of your heart, the place of your will, the place of your decisions. We lay aside our own will when we recognize the amazing love God has for us. And we learn to rest in his abundant and amazing love. For it's in that place of letting go that we embrace who God is and that we live into what Romans says, that he has poured his love into your heart through the Holy Spirit. So when we pray, our Father who is in heaven, and we begin to recognize the intimacy of a relationship with the God of the universe, that he is not this distant God, but he's so close and he's good. Holy is your name. I worship you, God. I praise your name. And so because I I know you now, God, and I have intimacy with you and I trust you, then come and rule my life. And don't just rule my life because you're a dominator. That's not the prayer. It's because God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God so loved the world that he endured the cross. God so loved the world that he set us free from bondage. And as we recognize that in praying, God, your kingdom come, it's him coming and pouring his love in our heart so that his love rules us. And then your will be done is saying, let that love that rules my will and my heart conquer the sin even in my own heart and lead me and rule me so that I can desire what you desire, God. And in that place, we begin to find our vocation, our meaning, our identity, our life is found in the gospel. And when we do that, we find that God's desires become our desires. And as we do that, we realize that There's some incredible work to do. In the power of the resurrection, God sends us out to do his will. And his will is living into the desires of God to follow after his heart and desires. And this is what we are, the sent out ones. 
here on earth. And he has established his way through the power of the resurrection, which becomes embodied in the people of God, his church, who have been saved, set free, delivered, and established as a new nation. And no longer live under the condemnation of death, but have been given the breath of the resurrected God which makes us alive to go and do the work God has called us to do. And we declare, like Paul in Galatians, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. As we discover this new life and purpose, this intimacy we have with God, and as we step into his kingdom and put it all on the table, and as we begin to move into living his will here on earth, following after his desires, we begin to see that the lost and the broken world can be reconciled to him. That's the will of God. Second Corinthians says, anyone in Christ is a new creation. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling a lost world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. Did you get that? That this invitation from God to be sent out In the power of the resurrection, with the power of the Holy Spirit sent out to go and be messengers of reconciliation, reconciling a lost world to God. And so we're new because of Easter, because the kingdom has come and we've been reconciled to God. And he sends us out to become ambassadors on earth. I'm going to tell you something, church. I believe that when we're living for others when we understand that intimacy with God and that love that changes us, when we have this love for God and a love for others, we move into God's will. When we don't, we find there's death and not life. One of my favorite books called Man's Search for Meaning by author Viktor Frankl, an Austrian psychotherapist who was held captive as a Jew in uh, the concentration camps in Nazi Germany in World War II, Uh, He spent time studying human behavior in the worst place, the concentration camp. And while I won't quote him exactly right, there was a sense in which as he wrote his book, in one of the stories, he begins to explain how he observed human behavior. And he would observe that those uh, people who were living for themselves, even in the worst place, a concentration camp, would be the ones that would die next he could almost accurately pinpoint the next person who was going to die in that concentration camp simply because he observed that they would grab their bread and they would begin to hoard their bread. They would hoard their soup. They would hoard. Whereas those who found purpose and meaning and were living for others, even in the concentration camp, had this this powerful will to keep going and live. And it was those who gave up their focus of their own self-preservation Those who died like a seed to live for others were the ones that found life and an abundance of life. I think that's what the example of Jesus says in Matthew 16, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. 
There's something powerful about stepping into this intimacy with God, this reality of his kingdom ruling us, putting it on the table and moving into God's will, realizing that as we love God and love others, we actually begin to find life and an abundance of life. Jesus is the ultimate demonstration of this. He modeled intimacy with the Father, trust, letting go of control. And even when he walked through the hardest walk of his life toward the cross, he said, Father, not my will, but your will be done. I trust you so much. I love you so much, Father, that I am in such intimacy with you that to let go of my life is easy because I know your desires are good. I know your plans are perfect. Whatever it is that you will, I will. And that's that intimacy as we pray your will be done is that we begin to let go and say, I know you now, God. I've prayed that prayer. I now trust you with my whole life. Be the Lord of my life and I will follow after you. And just before we finish with a poem, I'll just finish with a story that I'll never forget the first time I prayed that. (laughs) I was living my life as a plumber and uh, working hard and I wasn't following after the Lord. And then I encountered Jesus. He became Lord of my life, changed my life. Straight away, my, his desires became my desires. All I wanted to do was live for Jesus. And uh, it caused some conflict in my life. And that question the disciples asked is very real to me. What, what does this even mean? Like, how do I even do this? And uh, through the journey, uh, as I left my plumbing job and started questioning, what do I do next, God? Like, I, I want to live for you. What does it look like? I just learned to trust God and love him. I encountered this Christian ministry in which uh, I had a powerful experience and it asked questions of me. And I'll never forget deciding to apply to do a certificate in youth and community work with this Christian ministry, uh, which meant moving to another state, another province in Australia and living there for six months doing youth work and sort of letting go of all that I knew, my security to follow him. And I I remember filling out the application form and and walking down brand new in the faith, like really not (laughs) living a full life for God yet but having this envelope that had the application form. And I never forget the first time I prayed this prayer, I just simply just said something to the effect of like, God, I trust you. I'm going to commit my life into your hands. And if this is what you want me to do, I'm just going to follow. And I know that I can trust you. I remember putting that envelope in that mailbox and months later getting accepted into this program and it shaped the direction of my life to eventually land me here in Canada working for a church now as a pastor for 11 years. You know, the adventure of life, uh, when we pray the prayer that Jesus gives us, he's really inviting us into an incredible adventure. There's no wonder that he starts with us praying for intimacy with the Father because it's as we encounter the love of God that we are truly changed. And it's not just about doing a job for God, but it's about inviting the king of the universe who wants to set us free from the things that enslave us, to release us and send us to live the life God's created us to live here on earth. And so as we come to a close in our message today, um, what I'd love to do is actually just read a poem to you. (laughs) Um, And one of the courses that I help run with a Christian ministry, um, this is one of the poems that we use at the end of one of the units. And I would love to read it to you because I think it describes a little bit about this adventure that God is inviting us into to live his will that as we hand over control and say, God, your will be done, not mine, we're trusting him to lead and guide us on an incredible journey. And so I'd like to read this poem. And so, well, I don't want it to feel awkward for you, but 
if you're sitting at home or on your own or wherever you are, even with family, I just want to encourage you as I read this poem, maybe just close your eyes um, so that you can not just be staring at me on your screen, but sort of just hearing the words and sort of beginning to ask God, what does this mean for me? So if it's okay with you, I'd like to just read this poem, and it's called The Bicycle. This is how it goes. At first, I saw God as my observer, my judge, keeping track of all the things that I did wrong, so as to know whether I merited heaven or hell when I die. He was out there, sort of like a president. But later on, when I met Christ, it seemed as though life were rather like a bike ride. But it was a tandem bike, and I noticed that Christ was in the back helping me pedal. I don't know just when it was that he suggested we change places, but life has not been the same since. When I had control, I knew the way. It was rather boring, but predictable. It was the shortest distance between two points. But when he took the lead, he knew delightfully long cuts up mountains and through rocky places at breakneck speeds. It was all I could do to hang on. Even though it looked like madness, he said, pedal. I worried and was anxious and asked, where are you taking me? He laughed and didn't answer. And I started to learn to trust. I forgot my boring life and entered into the adventure. And when I'd say, I'm scared, he'd lean back and touch my hand. He took me to people with gifts, gifts I needed, gifts of healing, acceptance, joy. They gave me gifts to take on my journey, my Lord's and mine. And we were off again. He'd say, give the gifts away. They're extra baggage, too much weight. So I did to the people we met. And I found that in giving, I received. And still our burden was light. I did not trust him at first to control my life. I thought he would wreck it. But he knows bike secrets, you know. He knows how to make it bend and, and take sharp corners. He knows how to jump to clear high rocks. Knows how to fly to shorten scary passages. And I am learning to shut up and pedal in the strangest places. And I'm beginning to enjoy the view and the cool breeze on my face with my delightful, constant companion, Jesus Christ. And when I'm sure I just can't do any more, he just smiles and says, pedal, author unknown. I love that story because I feel like it sums up a little bit of what I'm trying to get at today. <laughs> this idea of seeing God in a new way as a good God who pours his love to change your heart and so that as you know him, you can live for him. And you might not know where that goes to or what that looks like fully, but it begins with simply putting our life on the table and saying, Jesus, what is it that you want us to do? And to live in that tension and invite God to begin to lead and guide you. And so after all that I've talked about today, I really just want to land on this question for you. Um, if, you if you were to ask yourself honestly in your heart right now, are you willing to let him take control. Let me ask it again. Are you willing to let him take control? Jesus is Lord of a kingdom. 
You're acknowledging that he has power and authority over the whole world, including you, when you allow yourself to answer that question. The adventure begins by letting go of control in order to gain new life. And as you do that, you'll find life's meaning. Praying your will be done is simply acknowledging that Jesus is Lord of the kingdom, not because he's a conqueror, because he so loves you. And he wants to lead you on the bike ride, the adventure of life. And so let's, let's just focus in on that for a minute as we pray. And um, if you've never prayed before, then I'll encourage you just to, yeah, close your eyes if you want to, or um, just be honest with God in that question and that transaction. But the invitation for us today is to recognize that uh, we're not just waiting around until we die. God is so good in the power of the resurrection that he wants us to go and, and live the life he's called us to live. So why don't we just take a minute to pray before we conclude our time together today? Well, we will start by just praying, our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And God, as we live into the words that you teach us to pray, as we begin to learn that there is so much to live for here, Lord Jesus, we thank you for the way in which you uh, so gently lead and guide us in this journey of life. And I thank you that uh, what we do on this earth is meaningful and that you are wanting to be on the adventure with us to set us more and more free from the things that entangle us and enslave us, to discover new life and new hope and, and power in the resurrection, to live the kingdom life, trusting and following after your will. And so we just pray for all of us here who are hearing these words and praying together that, God, you will powerfully move upon our hearts, begin to change the very desires that we have to follow after you and to learn what does it mean to fully trust you with our whole life and to let go of control and allow you to lead us on the journey of life. So, Lord Jesus, we trust you. We love you. And we thank you for what you accomplished on the cross and that you have breathed new life into us to make us alive again and that we can find hope in you. Hope for today, hope for tomorrow, and hope for eternity. And so we trust you today, Lord Jesus. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for being with us today, church. We hope that you are feeling strong in the Lord and that you'll be encouraged by the words that we shared together today. God bless you.